Welcome to the Awakening Church Podcast. We exist to awaken this generation to new life in Christ. Thanks for tuning in. To find out more, go to awakeningchurch.com. Okay, now we're going to take a break from Nehemiah. And so if you have a Bible, please turn in Psalms, the book of Psalms, to Psalm 101. And uh, the, the Lord's laid a message on my heart today called Staying Faithful. And I want to walk us through Psalm 101. It's, if you're new to the scriptures, it's right in the middle of your Bible. You'll find it there, Psalms and then Proverbs. Once you've found it, um, you're nice and comfy and everything. But I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet because we're going to read this psalm out loud together. So set your coffee down. Um, and if you hate me right now, ask God's forgiveness. Okay. You know, the Bible says in the New Testament, give attention to the public reading of Scripture. There's something that happens when we just read the Bible and speak it. Sometimes even when I'm reading in the morning, I, uh, I, was, I learned from an older man of God that he speaks it quietly because speaking the word is powerful. So I thought it would be cool if we just said this psalm out loud together, and then I want to pray over it. So uh, it's up here on the screen, uh, nice and loud. I know you can do it because I heard you clapping to Jesus. So here we go. I will sing of your loving kindness and justice. To you, O Lord, I will sing praises. I will be careful to lead a blameless life. When will you come to me? I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not fasten its grip on me. The perverse of heart shall be far from me. I will have nothing to do with what is evil. Whoever slanders their neighbor in secret, I will put to silence. Whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, I will not tolerate. My eyes will be on the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a blameless way is the one who will minister to me. No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. Every morning I will put to silence all the wicked in the land. I will cut off every evildoer from the city of the Lord. So, Father, we pray that our hearts would be open to receive what you have for us. Thank you for those that have already been praying. For Judy, who intercedes for this church so regularly. And, Lord, for so many here who love you. God, you're speaking. May we tune into your frequency today, and would you move across this cafeteria as it's become a place of a place to gather in Jesus' name. Everybody said, "Amen." All right, grab a seat, get comfortable. So this past summer, my wife and I jumped in our car. We drove down to Carmel, California, where we uh, had our honeymoon many years ago. In fact. 40 years ago, we celebrated our 40th wedding anniversary, and that's amazing. And the most amazing thing is she's put up with me all these years, (laughs) and she's still beautiful. And uh, we were down there, and and like many of you, our family, you know, we have four kids, they're all married, seven grandkids, so we have a family group text, and our family is crazy over Star Wars. Two of my kids have Star Wars tattoos. Don't ask me what I think about tattoos. Anyway, so... (laughs) 
And the group text is called, The Force is Strong in Our Family. <laughs> so anyway, we're down here in Carmel, and all of a sudden, ding, 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 on our anniversary, our kids, who are amazing, start texting us, good job, congratulations, mom and dad, we love you, mom and dad. And then John Mark, our oldest, he said this, quote, Dad, you've been married longer than I've been alive. To which I replied, well, son, that's the way it's supposed to work. <laughs> Get married, then have kids. Try it. It's God's plan. Now, to you're such a young church. Being married 40 years sounds probably like ancient to you, and it's pretty amazing. But my parents, who are with the Lord now, were married 56 years. And Diane's parents, who are also with the Lord now, were married 62 years. And they set an example for us of faithfulness to follow in their steps. And now it's my turn. It's Diane's turn. It's our turn. And we want to set an example for our kids to follow in our steps. The theme that jumps off the page at me when I read Psalm 101 is faithfulness, especially verse 6, which we'll get to in a little bit. So here's the plan. We want to unpack this psalm and just walk through it. And then I want to talk to you about why it's so important for you and me to live a life of faithfulness. And I'm so glad so many of you are hearing this at a young age because God wants to use you so powerfully and so mightily for years to come, but it starts now in your heart and with your life. Now, that's the plan. So does that sound okay with you? Good, because I have no other plan. All right. Now, (laughs) Psalm 101 is a Psalm of David. You probably noticed that, the King of Israel. But when you study it, it's also a royal psalm that looks forward to the coming of the Messiah, the new David, who will one day rule and reign in the new heaven and the new earth in perfect righteousness. I can't wait for that day when every wrong will be made right, uh, righteous judgment will come, and the saved will be with the Lord forever. I love how it puts it in Habakkuk 2.14, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isn't that awesome? Uh, And if you know Jesus, you're going to be there. And we're going to rule and reign with him with, with responsibilities in the coming kingdom forever and ever. Psalm 101 lays out the ideal kind of ruler David wanted to be and those who would follow after him uh, needed to be. This psalm was a song. We need to remember that when we're reading the psalms. They were Israel's songbook. So what we just read wouldn't have been read. It would have been sung. And many commentators feel that this, this psalm was actually sung at David's inaugural address when he was crowned king of Israel, like a president putting his hand on the Bible or her hand on the Bible and taking the oath of office. If so, then David is a young man when he penned these words. He wrote this song. So he was young, uh, maybe around 30 years of, years of age, and he was a godly young man. And here you see he has a deep desire to be faithful to the Lord both in the way he lives his life and in the way he rules the nation. Now, as we unpack this, most of us, as far as I know, we aren't kings, we aren't rulers, we're not presidents, we're not governors of the state of California or whatever, but the principles he lays out are not just those that make for a godly ruler. They're those characteristics of a godly person, of a godly husband, a righteous and godly wife, an honest businessman or woman, a student who is, does tests with integrity, and if you're married, a God-centered home. And even if you're living with roommates, a home where you live out the way of Jesus in your home. So what's laid out here in this psalm is relevant to every one of us here today. So tune in, don't tune out. Now, I love the way it begins. Let's look at it. Verse 1, it begins in worship. He says, I will sing of your love and justice to you, O Lord, 
I will sing praises. I love David. He gets up in the morning, grabs his harp. I don't know what it looked like, but he just begins to sing praises to God. This reminds me of a verse I memorized a long time ago, Psalm 35, 28. And my tongue shall declare your righteousness and your praise all day long. That's the way to live. In fact, would you say that out loud with me? Here we go. And my tongue shall declare your righteousness and your praise all day long. Listen, declaring praise to God, singing praises to him is so much better than grumbling and complaining. And I'm speaking as one, believe it or not, you know, you see me maybe as this happy, outgoing guy. I can grumble and complain with the best of them. In, in Oregon, ask my wife, I've had to repent many times of grumbling about the rain when I used to live in San, whatever. So, and you know what? God's not too happy. If you want to know what he thinks about grumbling, read in the Old Testament. You'll find out really quick. You know, and sometimes we can grumble and, and we actually become what the Bible calls a scoffer. You're going through a really hard time, and somebody's trying to encourage you, and they say, well, you know, God loves you, and, and look, look at all he's done for you. It's going to be okay, and you go, right. That kind of grumbling is called scoffing, and just for the record, Proverbs 9, verse 12 says, if you scoff, you alone will bear it. In other words, people will say, have a nice day. I'm out of here. I wrote in my Bible, no one likes a scoffer. And so I don't want to be like that. I want to be one who declares his righteousness, God's righteousness and praise all day long. Because when I scoff or when I grumble or when I complain, it's an affront to God. He's been so good to me. He saved me from all of my sins. As I was doing a prayer walk this morning, so I was just thanking him for what he's done in my life. And, and I'm just beginning to scratch the surface. David says, no, I'm not going to scoff. I'm not going to complain. I'm going to sing praises to God. I'm going to begin my day. And I'm going to begin my reign as king singing praises. Now, I want to be like him. And this is a worshiping church. And it's easy to worship when you got a band. You have a girl bass player. How cool is that? <laughs> uh, who has that? That's awesome. Anyway, speaking as a drummer, I just think that's awesome. All right. So <clears throat> um, you can worship here with amazing worship. But what about when you're by yourself? So uh, as I was studying this psalm, I was realizing, do I even do this? Like, I, I'm actually a musician, but no. So I started picking up my guitar in the mornings and just singing a, a praise song to God. And, you know, it changes my heart immediately. And I encourage you to do the same. Maybe you say, well, I don't play the guitar, and I'm not a girl who plays bass, and I can't sing. And so here's what you do. You just make sure nobody else is around you, and then you just let it fly, okay? <laughs> Some of you were here a couple years ago when my wife spoke told her story of going deaf and how she got angry at God and then how the Lord rescued her when she didn't deserve it, when the elders over at Santa Cruz Bible Church anointed her with oil and prayed over her. And, and now uh, she, she's able to listen when she has this device on called a cochlear implant, but when it's off, she hears nothing, but boy, does she hear the Lord. And she writes out of that and, and has this gift that God, God gave to her through it. But when she's in church next to me, she's got her thing on, and the music sounds horrible to her because this little processor can't process music, but my wife is a worshiper. Like, I consider myself a worship leader, but she's a worshiper, and I listen to her singing, and she's all off key. <laughs> I mean, it's, she's in the wrong key. Her voice is singing the wrong notes, and I look at her face, and she's just adoring the Lord. And, and I just know God is looking down at her, smiling at her. To him, it's a beautiful noise, <laughs> a beautiful sound. 
And besides, he's going to give her perfect ears in heaven and probably the coolest sound system ever. Anyway, so David is singing here. And you say, okay, Phil, I'll give it a shot. I'll, I'll try singing by myself in the morning. What do I sing about? Well, let's look at what David sings about. David says, I will sing of your loving kindness and justice. He sings and praises God for his loving kindness. The word there in Hebrew means loyal devotion. God is loyally devoted to you. And of his justice, which is his judgments. One day, in perfect righteousness, he will judge sin. Only God can mix loving kindness and justice together perfectly, and he does it every time. David wanted his reign to be characterized by loving kindness and justice because that's how God rules his world, and that's how he wanted his life to be and how he wanted to rule the nation. Look at verse 2. He goes on, I will be careful to lead a blameless life. When will you come to me? He's talking to God here. I'll be careful to lead a blameless life, Lord. When are you going to come near to me? Staying faithful in your marriage, with your family, in your business, as a student, as an employee, it begins with a firm commitment and a deep desire to please the Lord in all you do. David knew this. He says, I will be careful to lead a blameless life. If you go through the psalm and count it, eight times he says, I will. I will, 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 I will. He's determined to live a blameless life. Living a life of faithfulness, we need to see, doesn't just happen because you come to church on Sunday or whatever, because you pick up your Bible once in a while. No, we need to be like David. We also need to be like Daniel in the Old Testament, who was a man of God as well. And it says in Daniel, he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. That's Daniel chapter 1, uh, verse 8. Another translation says he made up his mind. He said, I will. I'm making up my mind. Whatever they do, they can kill me. But I'm not going to keep praying to Yahweh because I'm a follower of him. So David is saying this here. He's purposing in his heart to lead a blameless life. Now, when we hear blameless, I don't know about you, I think sinless. And when you study the Bible... When we are told to live blameless lives, it doesn't mean sinless life. There's only one person who ever lived a sinless life. You know his name? It is Jesus Christ. He's the only sinless one who then shed his sinless blood on the cross so that our sins could be paid for. Blameless means without blame. In other words, you have no double life going on. Uh, Let's say you call yourself a follower of Jesus and you tell your accountant who does your taxes to cheat a little bit. That's not blameless. That's lacking integrity, calling yourself a person of integrity, but not living financially with integrity. That's just one example. And David is not saying he wants to be sinless. He's saying he wants to be blameless. It means no one can point the finger at you and say, I know this about you. You've got this going on on the side. David wanted to live a life pleasing to God, but why? Because he wanted to be close to God. He said, when will you come to me? You see, when I sin, I don't feel close to the Lord. God doesn't leave me, but I distance myself because sin breaks fellowship. But when I say, Lord, forgive me, (laughs) he's right there. You're forgiven. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So sin breaks fellowship. And David is saying, I want to be a godly man. I want to live a blameless life because I want to be close to you and I want to live in your presence. In Psalm 15, he puts it this way, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live? on your holy mountain. And then he he answers his own question. The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, he who does these things will never be shaken. 
Now, David had this deep desire to please the Lord. And maybe you're thinking, because you're a Bible student, well, wait a minute. Yeah, Phil, but didn't he like really mess up? Yes, he did. Much later in life, when he was older, his desire you see here, he messed up. Committed adultery with Bathsheba, arranged to have her husband murdered. It was a deep, deep sin. But if you study his life, there was deep, deep repentance. Read Psalm 51, Psalm 32. God forgave him completely, but there were consequences. His life was never the same. His family became broken and disastrous. But God still calls him in the book of Acts, a man after my heart who will do all my will. And I've noticed this quite often. It's older men who mess up. It's older women who walk away from their family at times. And I don't want that to be your story nor do I want it to be my story. But here, David is a young man. Like many of you here today, I love it. So many young men and young women and young married couples with young children. And he's a young man, and he has this deep desire to live a godly life. And we need to remember, we live in the church age. The Holy Spirit has come down, and when you receive Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit. He lives in you. And the power to live out This walk with God is available to you and me 24-7. We just got to walk with God. And the power comes from the indwelling Christ. But I still have to choose to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You still have to choose to turn away from sin and be filled with him. David, he makes his choice. Let's read on. He says, I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. This is the fourth time he says, I will. He goes, I'm going to walk with integrity in my own house. Listen, he's the king of Israel. He's ruling the entire nation, but he knows that integrity, staying faithful, has to start in his heart. Then it needs to be lived out in his home where real life happens, where the people who really know him are there, and then it's going to move on into the workplace, in his case, ruling the nation. I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. Uh, His home is out out of view from the rest of the people. But it's not out of view from the Lord, is it? We need to remember God sees everything. He hears everything. And when things come out of our mouth that are not pleasing or things are happening that aren't pleasing, we just need to repent and and be honest before God and say, forgive me, Lord, and and forgiveness is right there. Uh, And David knew he needed to be a godly man in his own home if he was ever going to be able to care for God's people. Now, this, by the way, is Jesus' plan for the leaders in his church today. David was leader of the nation of Israel. Now the church is shepherded by elders and pastors. And you have godly elders and pastors here at Awakening who are men who are above reproach. They're blameless. In fact, in 1 Timothy 3, I don't have to have time to turn there this morning, but there's qualifications to be an elder in God's church. The first one is blameless. Not sinless, but blameless. An elder must be blameless. Then he must be a one-woman man, which means all his affection is for his wife and her only. And then it talks about his family. He has to be able to lead his family spiritually because it says, quote, if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how can he take care of the church of God? So David is saying, I want to walk with with integrity in my own house so that I can rule the nation. And elders have to be able to lead their family spiritually or how are they going to be able to lead the church? If everything's falling apart here, my own life is going to be in such turmoil, I'm not going to be able to lead the church well. So nothing has changed. And I'm happy to tell you, because I've been around some of your leaders here. This is the kind of men uh, and, and women that you have who are shepherding you here. And you know what? They love you. One of the things I love about Ryan and Jenny is they love you. Every time I see Ryan, Jenny's there loving you. And you guys are blessed because it's not always the case. Integrity, by the way, is who you are when no one is watching 
or when no one is listening. <laughs> I heard this story. It's a true story. Uh, there was a couple. They were visiting friends. They had a little baby, and uh, they, they were getting ready to hang out with their friends. They put the baby monitor out in the living room. Then they went in to put the baby to sleep. So the baby's falling, falls asleep, and then they get into this fight, like loud fight. Husband's yelling at his wife, and they're having it out. And suddenly the wife goes, the baby monitor. And their friends are listening to the whole thing. <laughs> out in the, It's like worst nightmare, worst moment. So they walk out. Ah, what do we say? You know, but it's, I heard that story. It's a good reminder to me that God hears everything I say, even the things I whisper, grumble. And so uh, that, that, that motivates me. It, it's, a, it's a purifying thing because... Uh, not because I'm fearful of God, like, slamming me. No, because I want to be close to him, and I want to be blessed by him, and I, I want to be a godly man. So we need to remember, he sees everything, and that's what David is seeing here. Um, integrity, by the way, uh, it means that I will do the right thing no matter what the cost. This is all over the scriptures. Let me read a verse to you from Job, Job 27, verse, verse uh, 5. Job says, until I die, I will not put my integrity away from me. Wow. And he lived a long time. <laughs> Bible says he saw his sons and his grandsons for generations. Now, in verse 3, David gets more specific. Look at your Bibles. He says, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. The Hebrew word translated worthless here means good for nothing or even wicked. I love the way the New Living puts it. I will live a life of integrity in my own home. I will refuse to look at anything vile or vulgar. David's saying, look, I'm not going to stare at or contemplate or dwell on things which are morally wicked or wrong. Wow. <laughs> Think of most of the movies and songs and stuff that we see everywhere we go around here that are counter to the purity and beauty of the Lord. We have to make decisions. David says, I want no part of it. You see, because what our eyes fixate on soon capture our hearts. He says, I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not fasten its grip on me. If you desire, like David, to stay faithful, you'll have to make decisions regularly to look away, run away, turn away, so you don't fall away. In our 40 years together, Diane and I have seen far too many friends who started out well and were faithful for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, and then later, whoop, and I'm going to talk about how that happens in a little bit. They didn't, they didn't stay faithful. They turned away from the Lord, and it was disastrous every single time. As followers of Jesus, we need to remember we have three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Bible's very clear about this. The world pulls at you, and you live in Silicon Valley where, man, you, you need this and try that, and you got to have this, and it's everywhere. You're just, if you're not careful, you'd just be sucked right up into it. The world pulls at you. The flesh cries out to you, hey, go ahead, do it. Nobody, you know, enjoy it. And Satan, Jesus said he's a thief that came to steal and kill and destroy. He wants to destroy your life. And so we need to be alert of these enemies, but then we need not to be fearful because it says in the New Testament, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. But people who end up falling away and turning away, usually they've lost the battle with the world and the flesh. And sometimes they blame it on the devil. But they did not choose to say, I will, I will, I will. I'm going to live in community and I'm going to let people speak into my life and I'm going to stay faithful. Now, let's read on. He says, verse 4, the perverse of heart shall be far from me. I will have nothing to do with what is evil. Whoever slanders with their 
Uh, whoever slanders their neighbor in secret, I will put to silence. Whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, I will not tolerate. David is describing and declaring how a life, a family, a home, a business, a nation ought to be run, not just how things should be, but what won't and can't be tolerated. He knew the truth of the New Testament verse, God is opposed to the proud. Actually, it's a quote of Proverbs, but gives grace to the humble. He said, look, God is opposed to the proud, so I will be too. That's what he's saying. Now, my favorite verse, we're there. Verse 6, check it out. Memorize it. My eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a blameless way is the one who will minister to me. He's saying, I'm not going to hang out with arrogant people. Instead, I'm going to surround myself with faithful people whose lives are blameless because he knew the truth, the truth of Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So I ask you, the people who are your closest friends, those that you spend the most time with, relaxing, hanging out with, are they helping you get closer to the Lord or pulling you away from the Lord? Now, I'm not saying don't be around people who aren't walking with God. That's what we're supposed to do. We're joining Jesus in his rescue operation. But if you find yourself being influenced by them and pulling away from the Lord instead of you influencing them, then you're in trouble. And so you need to be careful. You need to watch out what's going on. David is saying here, I want to be around the faithful of the land because I need that. And that's how I, that's who I'm going to surround myself with in my reign. He's going to surround himself with faithful people. Now the word, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> the word faithful in the New Testament, uh, it simply means true, trustworthy. But the Hebrew word translated faithful here is interesting, Amon, and it, it's, it actually has to do with a parent supporting their little child. And then figuratively, it means steadfast or faithful. I'm going to put a photo up here of this little baby. Here we go. There she is. Come on. Ah. You better say ah because this baby is here this morning. All right. You don't want to hurt her feelings. This is our seventh grandchild, little baby Sloan Elliott. And she's beautiful. And she just smiles at me, and what do you want? A million dollars? It's all yours. No. It's like, but she's absolutely helpless. If she was left, she'd die. She's completely dependent upon my daughter Elizabeth and her husband Brooke, who are here this morning. They, they care for her constantly. They watch over her. They feed her. They drop everything in a second. They're faithful to her. They will never leave her. As long as they're alive and she's alive, they'll be there for her instantly because they're models of faithfulness. This is the word that is here in the psalm. This is what faithfulness is, fulfilling your calling, being faithful. In this case, holding up this child and caring for her until one day she could care for herself. Now, that's what faithfulness is. Great. Now, why should I be faithful Glad you asked. Let me give you two reasons straight from the scriptures. And if you're taking notes, you can write them down. Number one, faithfulness is what the Lord requires of you and of me. Now, Lamentations chapter 3, first of all, we need to remember that God himself is faithful to us. Lamentations 3, the Lord's loving kindness says, indeed never cease. I love that. They're plural. There's not one loving kindness. He shows us multiple loving kindnesses every 
day, every moment, every hour. They never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy what? Faithfulness. And it even says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. In other words, he can't be unfaithful because it's part of who he is, is faithful. So even if we say, I I, you know, Lord, I don't even believe in you anymore, it doesn't change him at all. We're the ones that lose. He's still faithful. And Philippians 1.6 says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, God is faithful, but he requires faithfulness of us. Micah chapter 6, verse 8, he has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. God is looking for people who are saying, Lord, I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm going to follow you no matter what happens in my life. I want to get married. It's not happening now, but that's okay. Me and you, Jesus, I'm following you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. One of my favorite verses, 2 Chronicles 16, 9, the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. I love that because God's like a lighthouse, like that lighthouse over in Santa Cruz. I don't think it works anymore. But anyway, it's like the light's going around. God just like looking. In fact, he's looking across right now, across the 930 gathering and awakening church to see, ah, she's faithful. He's faithful. I see what you're doing. Way to go. Awesome. I'm going to bless your life. He's looking. And when he finds a faithful man or faithful woman, he strongly supports you. The power of God is in your life. The undergirding of, of, uh, of God's goodness is with you and going with you everywhere you go. He's literally looking for faithful people. Will he find you? This is what the Lord requires. You know, we used to sing a song back in the day. Uh, some of you will remember it. Faithfulness faithfulness is what I long for. Faithfulness is what I need. Remember that song? Faithfulness, faithfulness is what you want from me. That's to take my heart and mold it, take my mind, transform it, take my will, conform it to yours. That's it. This is what he requires. Now, secondly, this is what the Lord rewards. This is what he requires, not so he can say, get to work for me. No, it's what he wants to bless. When you're faithful to him, you become usable to him, and then he rewards you for everything you do in his name. We get everything. (laughs) He gives everything, and we receive everything. In the parable of the talents, it's beautiful. Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. I love that. He doesn't say, well done, good and faithful servant. You were great. Man, you just like rose up in the corporation like you were like the top guy. Like, look what you you earned a million dollars last year. You're awesome. No, the reward isn't for greatness. It's for faithfulness. When I was in Bible school years ago, the founder of Multnomah University was 89 years old. And I used to have lunch with him. Because I go, this guy, I want to learn everything he knows. (laughs) He pastored a church for 40 years, Dr. John G. Mitchell, and he looked me in the eye one day and he said, God does not reward greatness. He rewards faithfulness. And I'm looking at an 89-year-old man who lived till about 94, and he walked with God, and I said, that's what I want to do. I don't think I'm going to live that long, but anyway. Faithful or famous, we have to decide. Our world is all about fame, right? American Idol, whatever, you know, you know get famous. No, God is about faithfulness. 
Now, maybe you're thinking, well, I want to be faithful, but not because I want to get a reward. Well, nevertheless, Jesus said you're going to get one, so tough. (laughs) You better receive it. All right. Now, because we all need practical Bible teaching that makes a difference on Monday, very quickly this morning, I want to give you three things that can derail your desire to stay faithful and three areas you need to stay faithful in. Don't worry, I'm not going to preach another half hour, but we're going to walk through these. First hindrance to faithfulness, the love of money. Not money, the love of money. Listen to 1 Timothy 6.10. And by the way, I didn't decide to talk about money because you're in above and beyond campaign, but I'm really glad I am because I have a couple things I want to say to you about it uh, because I prepared this before. 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith. Now, this verse gets misquoted all the time. People say, money is the root of all evil. That's not what the Bible says. It says, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. There's other roots. (laughs) Sexual sin, pride, arrogance, all kinds of them. But the love of money is one, because money gets its grip on us. It's a trust issue. I, I need more because I need to take care of myself, and it's all about me anyway, and it's mine, and it gets its grip on us, which is why Jesus said, quote, and this, you cannot serve God and riches. In other words, you've got to make a choice. He also said, if you have not been faithful in handling worldly wealth, who can entrust the true riches to you? Whoa, so money is a test. You see, God provides everything, and he's watching how we use money to see if he can entrust us with the good stuff, being used by God, serving the Lord, blessing your wife, blessing your husband, loving your kids. It's, 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 if, if, if money's got a grip on us, then God can't use us. And what I've learned is the best way to let money get its, get its grip off of you is to give it away. Generosity. Because every time I give, it, it's a little bit more, less of its grip on me. And really, I'm saying, Lord, I really do believe, not just because the Bible says, but I really believe everything I have is a gift from you, which is exactly what the Bible says. And the Bible has a lot to say about being stewards. So what is a steward? Uh, it's a word we don't use around. A steward manages somebody else's stuff. <laughs> and we're stewards managing God's stuff. If you're alive today, he gave you, a, he gave you life. It's a gift to be managed and stewarded. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm <coughs> getting over a, a cold here. So I'm a steward of every day the Lord gives me. <coughs> am I going to serve him this day or am I going to serve myself? What he's given me, I'm going to use it for blessing my family, for serving his purposes. And so this above and beyond campaign, what a great time to look at your heart and say, am I, am I a channel? Am I a steward? Am I, am I being used of God? Am I a channel that God can work through? Lord, I, I don't want to have a, a grip... Uh, money have its grip on me. Now, some of you are sitting there thinking, no problem, I don't have any money. <laughs> I go to San Jose State, come on. <clears throat> I work 20 hours a week at Starbucks, so you're not talking to me, you're talking to the rich guy that's a CEO. No, I'm talking to you. Because he who is faithful over little will also be faithful over much. We're going to talk about that in a second. But if he can't trust you to tithe when you're making 100 bucks a week, that's $10. How's he ever going to trust you to tithe when you're making $100,000 a year and now your tithe is $10,000? So I'm standing here because I'm such a blessed man. When I was a little kid, I grew, lived in Santa Clara. My dad was not saved, but he went to church because back then everybody was either Protestant or Catholic. They went to church one hour on Sunday, had a big dinner, and that was it, right? And so, but I had no, I went to church. I was, I was going to church and going to hell. But anyway, 
I'll tell you the church, but I won't while it's still there. Anyway, but um, so I didn't know the Lord. I had no clue who Jesus was. But I remember every Saturday night, my dad put this envelope out on the counter with his name, Charles W. Comer, and an amount there. And, And it was his offering for the next day. He was actually following the Jewish method of preparing for the Sabbath because he loved God. He just didn't know Jesus yet. Back then, the pastor would come to your house once a year to ask you what your pledge. Ryan, that's a good... No, don't. <laughs> Ryan's not going to do that. But my dad, he, he, without ever talking to me, he was actually showing me how to give back to God. So fast forward, years later, I'm going to San Jose State. I come to Jesus, and I end up at what now is Venture Christian Church, was Los Gatos Christian Church back then, and they had these envelopes out in the foyer. It's like, oh, I recognize those. My dad used to do those. And I heard a sermon on tithing. I go, like, I'm not making much money. Like, I was shoveling cement. That's what I was doing, you know. But I thought, well, I can do that. And I loved it. So I got my paycheck with whatever it was, you know, $150, and I took 15 bucks. Lord, this is yours. I put it in the envelope and turned it in. And I just learned to do this when I wasn't making anything, and then it's just stuck with me. That's like where you begin. And, and then when we started having kids, um, I thought, okay, I'm going to teach them how to tithe. So we gave them an allowance when they were really young, and it was not much because I was really cheap. But anyway, uh, so I would give them an allowance. Okay, Jamark, here's your allowance. It's $2.00. And I broke the second dollar down to change. And I said, this 20 cents is not yours. It's God. So here's this envelope. Stick it in the envelope and write, write something on it. So my kids would write. It was red crayon. I love you, God, you know, uh, and put it in there. Now, Venture Church, some of you know where that is. Chip, uh, Chip Ryan's dad was a pastor there. Um, they did an above and beyond campaign. And my kids were little. And so I went to my kids. I go, do you want to participate? And they said, yeah, daddy, we do. So my son gave a nickel. And he put it in an envelope. And the business pastor, he carried it around till he was 91 years old. And whenever he got asked to get up and talk about stewardship and giving, he pulled out my son's little thing. I said, here's a four-year-old boy who gave a nickel to Above and Beyond campaign. This is called faithfulness. And so I just, I wasn't, this, this isn't in my notes. I just thought I wanted to say that today because this is an opportunity not just to help this church go forward, but for you to grow as a believer because some of you haven't learned the joy of giving. And, and you're going to find out that you cannot outgive God. You think like, I need that nickel. <laughs> I want to get my latte or whatever. I don't have any money. You got, you got to understand, someday I'm going to tithe. Listen, you won't. If you think someday when I get money, I'm going to give. No, it'll be harder for you to give then. This is something you do now, becomes part of your life, and you begin to experience the joy. And as an 81-year-old guy in our church says, you will find out that God has a bigger shovel. <laughs> you give, and he says, you give. And I'm not preaching prosperity gospel. You know, give $100, I'll give you 1000 and pretty soon you'll be driving a Tesla. No, that's not what I'm saying. No. <laughs> I don't want to test anyway, but whatever. Uh, uh, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the blessings, it's the blessing of the Lord that makes rich in every way. It's not just financial. My life is so blessed right now. I could talk to you for hours and just be scratching the surface of the blessings in my life and in our family's life. Yeah, let's thank the Lord for that. And, and, and finances is just a part of it. So, so just, I'm just telling you, go for it. Do something. And, and then what you think you're going to do, do more. It, just, just trust me. See what happens. Watch what happens. I, how much time do I have? 
Am I supposed to be done already? I can't hear you. I got five minutes? Ten minutes? Okay. <laughs> my wife's father, this isn't in my sermon, I got to finish, but my wife's father, he was an engineer, a nuclear engineer for General Electric. And he came to the Lord, he heard he should tithe. So he met with the pastor. And he said, I can't tithe, it's not in my budget. He said, you know, he was putting tons of money away in his IRAs and everything, like he, he died wealthy. But at the time, he goes, I, I can't, it's, my budget doesn't allow me to tithe. Now, I would have said, dude, like, tithe, change your budget. But that's not what the pastor told him. The pastor said, how much can you trust God for? He said, 3%. He goes, okay, why don't you start there? So my father-in-law, he started giving 3%, and the, all this crazy stuff started happening. He lived in Germany for four years. My wife moved the family over there for GE. This envelope finds him with stamps all over. It's been following him for three years trying to find him. It was a bonus check from GE. It lands in his mailbox. He gets home from a trip, and GE took this limo. They pick you up in this, like, Lincoln Continental limo, you know, if you're an executive. They're driving home, and he's talking to this other GE guy, chatting, da-da-da-da-da. Next week, his boss walks in and hands him a check. He goes, what's this? He goes, well, you were driving in the car the other day with uh, so-and-so. Yeah, I remember meeting that guy. Well, one of his jobs is to go around and find GE employees that are uh, doing stuff for the, the company and give them bonuses. So here's a bonus. <laughs> he goes, I'm tithing. <laughs> just like that. So I'm just saying, trust the Lord. And keep going. All right, I got to get off money. Okay, one of the things that can derail you, though, is love of money. Second thing that can derail you from staying faithful is compromise. Compromise. Luke chapter 16, he who is faithful in very little will, will be, he who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much, but whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. One day, I was in Safeway over here by Westfield Mall, which used to be called Valley Fair, and I was in the Safeway store. My dad worked for Safeway, and I remember this. We're walking down the aisle. Somebody dropped a $20 bill, which in the 1950s, that was a lot of money. My dad had these long arms. I remember he was holding my hand. He picked it up, and he said, let's go to the manager, and he went and turned it in. He didn't lean down and say, now, son... You're not going to understand this until you're older, but I'm teaching you about faithfulness. No, integrity. No, he just did it. And I read later when I was following the Lord, Proverbs 27, a righteous, verse 7, a righteous man who walks in his integrity, how blessed are his sons after him. Wow. I was a blessed man. My dad did not live a life of compromise. He lived a life of integrity. And by the way, I got to baptize him when he was 67 years old. <laughs> And he's with the Lord. Now, the third thing that can derail you is simply pride. Pride. Arrogance. Pride goes before destruction. It says in Proverbs chapter 18, humility uh, ends in honor. And so, when you're doing well, the Bible says a man is tested by the praise accorded him. When everybody says, Mac, you're amazing, you're doing great for the company, you're an amazing this, amazing that, just say thank you, Jesus. Because if it goes to your head, you're not going to be usable. We see this all over the Bible. Some of the kings in the Old Testament, one was King Uzziah. He was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years, and he did all these great things, but when he was old, the Bible says his heart became proud. He was helped until he became strong, and when he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly, and he was unfaithful to the Lord. Wow. You don't want that to be your epitaph. You want to be faithful. Now, let me give you three areas to stay faithful real quick. Number one, to your calling. What's your calling? It's wherever you are right now. (laughs) 
Be faithful if you're married. You know, you need to be faithful in your marriage. If you're a student, be a man, a woman of integrity. Don't cheat on tests. Be faithful. If you're working at Starbucks or whatever, be there. Be on time. Have a good attitude. Because God's watching you and he's preparing you for what's ahead. Because the reward for a job well done is more work to do and more responsibility. So be faithful to your calling. Secondly, be faithful to share the good news to the Great Commission. If you know Jesus, it's because a long time ago, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, somebody was saved. Somebody told them the message of salvation. They received Jesus, and they told somebody else who 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 who finally told you. And now it's your turn to go share the good news. Lastly, and this is mostly for those of you who are married, you dads, you moms, any grandparents here like me, stay faithful to your family. And those of you who aren't married yet, decide now, I will stay faithful to my wife, and I will be a faithful father, and I will be a faithful mother when that day comes. If you're a parent, you have the privilege of pointing your children to Jesus. And if you're a grandparent like I am, you get the joy of leading not just your own kids to the Lord, but being an example and coming alongside them to show their kids, your grandkids, what it looks like to follow Jesus. Not too long ago, we watched three of our grandkids for a week. You know, they were like um, 12, 9, and 7, and it was exhausting. I said, now I know why you have kids when you're young. The place was a disaster. There were Legos everywhere, clothes everywhere, you know, stuff strewn around. And, and I was reminded of that verse in Proverbs, uh, where no oxen are, the manger is clean. <laughs> but much increase comes from the strength of the ox. The place was a disaster, but we got to talk to our kids about the Lord and read the Bible to them because kind of it's, see, grandparents get to spoil their grandkids. It's so fun. They call us amen pops. And when my grandkids come over, I gather and I go, hey, at Amen Pop's house, the answer is almost always, and then they shout, yes! <laughs> you know. <laughs> I only throw almost always because you got to submit to the parents, right? No, man, I'd love to give you your fifth peanut butter cup, but your mom said, your mom said no. You know, so it's, like, it's, it's really fun. But um, we need to be faithful. I'm going to throw a picture up of my granddaughter, Scarlett. She's just so proud of herself. She made some chocolate chip cookies and... And she's holding them out for you. And this girl has me wrapped around her little finger. But, but here's the thing. Can you imagine? My job is to reinforce what her mom and dad are telling her about Jesus and to pray for her and to love her and to reinforce what she's hearing so that this heritage is passed on to her. If suddenly I decided, I said, you know, Scarlett, you know, I know your parents believe in Jesus, but I've decided, you know, I really don't. In fact, I think they're, I think they're wrong. And, and I just want you to know, I, I don't believe in him anymore, and I'm not following him, and you need to make your own. Even though she wouldn't fully comprehend the magnitude of that, it would be disastrous, and it would affect her life. Instead, my wife and I have the privilege of pointing her to the Lord. David said in another psalm, may those who seek you not be dishonored through me, O Lord. In other words, I get to point her to Jesus. Diane gets to point her to the Lord. Now, as we end, none of us are going to do this perfectly because we're human and we sin. Uh, David didn't either. He messed up later. He failed to perfectly carry out these longings we see in his life when he's 30 years old or so. But Jesus Christ, the son of David, 
the one who knew no sin, he pulled off Psalm 101 perfectly. Hebrews chapter 3 says he was faithful over God's house as a son. And in Revelation, when you read the second coming and Jesus comes, if you've read in Revelation 19, he's on a white horse, and he who sat upon it is called faithful and true. I love that. He's going to perfectly live out Psalm 101. No sin will be allowed in his heaven, only the forgiven. Those whose sins have been washed away by the blood of the Lamb. He'll destroy the wicked. No lying, cheating, or arrogance will be allowed into the new heaven and the new earth. As verse 6 says, his eyes, Jesus' eyes, will be upon the faithful of the land that they may dwell with him forever and ever and ever. You want to be there with him. And at that moment, you want to look back on your life and know that you were faithful. That's my heart. And I pray that it is your heart as well. Amen? All right, let's stand together for prayer. As the worship uh, band comes back up, at least I think they're coming back up, I just want to pray over you. If you're with your husband or wife, just hold hands. And Father, thank you so much for uh, the privilege of being saved, of knowing you, of walking with you. Lord, we can never outgive you your blessings are more than we could ever contain. They're undeserved, but so appreciated, Lord. Thank you for being faithful to us. Show us what it looks like to live lives of faithfulness. And as an old song I used to sing says, Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe. And the lives we live inspire them to obey. May all who come behind us find us faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.